Chapter 2 of Nan Sherwood at Lakeview Hall. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Siano. Nan Sherwood at Lakeview Hall by Annie Rowe Carr. Chapter 2 all about Nan. Nan Sherwood stumbled and would have fallen, for she could not pick her steps very safely with her gaze directed behind, had not a firm hand seized her shoulder. The gentleman who did this may have been as intent upon detaining the girl as upon saving her from an overthrow. Hoity-toity, he ejaculated in a rather querulous voice. Hoity-toity, he repeated, What's this I hear? Stop thief? Impossible! He was a lean-faced man, with a deeply lined countenance, a big nose, and shell-bowed spectacles through which his pale gray eyes twinkled, after all, in a rather friendly way, or so the startled Nan thought in those few seconds that elapsed before the other girl reached them. Impossible! repeated the man having looked into Nan's eyes. "'I guess it isn't impossible,' cried the overdressed girl, seizing the handle of the russet bag and trying to jerk it out of Nan's hand. "'The bold thing! She is a thief! And see her! She won't give it up!' "'Why, it's my bag!' murmured Nan, horrified by this utterly unexpected situation. "'It's not!' It's mine, asserted the other girl, striving with all her might to secure her the bag. But Nan Sherwood was no weakling. In fact, she was really very strong for her age, and her spring and summer in the big woods had bronzed her skin almost to the hue of a winter-cured oak leaf. Her muscles were as well-developed as a boy's. The angry girl could not get the russet bag away from Nan's secure grip. "'Wait, wait, young ladies,' urged the gentleman with the spectacles, that made him look so owl-like. "'There must be some mistake here.' "'There is,' snapped the angry girl. "'It's a mistake to let a little thief like her ride with respectable people.' I'm going to have her arrested. I—I'll tell my father. All the time she was thus incoherently accusing Nan, she was likewise endeavoring to get possession of the bag. But Nan had no idea of giving up her Aunt Kate's beautiful present. Why—why—Nan gasped. It's mine. I bought it myself. What a story! shrieked the other girl. A Dowdy little thing like you never owned such a bag. Look at my card on the handle. That should settle it, said the bespectacled gentleman with confidence, and he reached for the bag. Nan allowed him to take it. To her amazement, he slipped an engraved visiting card out of the frame set into the bag's handle. Nan almost dropped. She had not noticed the card during the struggle and she knew she never had owned a visiting card like that in her life. The gentleman held the card very close to his eyes to read the name engraved upon it. 
"Ahem!" he said. "I thought I recognized you, Miss Riggs, despite your wild state of alarm. Miss Linda Riggs," he added, repeating the name on the card. "Quite right. The bag is yours, Miss Riggs." "I should think you would have known that, Professor Krenner, when I first spoke," snapped the girl, seizing the bag ungratefully from his hand. "Anybody ought to see what that girl is," and she eyed poor Nan with a measure of disdain that might have really pained the Tillbury girl had she not just then been so much troubled by another phase of the incident. "'Why, where is my bag, then?' Nan gasped. Professor Krenner glanced sideways at hers. He was a peculiar old gentleman, and he believed deeply in his own first impressions. Nan's flushed face, her wide-open, pained eyes, her quivering lips, told a story he could not disbelieve. The professor's mind leaped to a swift conclusion. "'Are you sure you sat just there, child?' he asked Nan. "'Oh, I—' He could see over the heads of the few curious passengers who had surged around them. "'Was your bag like Miss Riggs's?' he asked. "'Exactly,' breathed Nan. Just then a soft, drawling voice asked, "'Any of your ladies and gentlemen don't left a bag?' The porter held out a russet leather traveling bag. Nan leaped for it with a cry of relief. "'It belongs to the young lady, porter,' said Professor Krenner, authoritatively. "'Why, the bags are just alike!' cried one lady. "'I don't believe a dowdy thing like her ever honestly owned a bag like mine in this world!' Linda Riggs exclaimed bitterly. "'She stole it!' Another passenger laughed. As far as we know, my girl, you may have stolen your bag. How dare you? gasped the dressy girl. I guess you don't know who my father is. I confess the crass ignorance that engulfs my mind upon that important point, laughed the unimpressed man, who looked as though he might be of some importance himself. Who is your father, my dear? He is Mr. Henry W. Riggs, and he just about owns this railroad, said the girl proudly. I have heard of him, agreed the man, and you may tell him from me that if I owned as much stock in this road as he is supposed to, I'd give the public better service for its money and the passengers went away, laughing at the purse-proud and arrogant girl. Meanwhile, Nan Sherwood had thanked the porter for recovering her bag and Professor Krenner for championing her cause. She did not look again at the girl who had so hurt and insulted her. But she was very pale and quiet as she went back to rejoin her chum, Bess Harley, in the other car. That was the way of Nan Sherwood. When she was hurt, she never cried over it openly, nor was it often that she gave vent to a public expression of anger. For her age, Nan was strangely self-contained and competent. Not that she was other than a real, happy, hearty schoolgirl, 
with a deal more than her share of animal spirits. She was so very much alive that it had been hard for her to keep her body still enough to satisfy her teachers at the Tilbury High School, which, until the middle of the previous winter, she had attended with her chum. Bess's father was well-to-do, and Bess had had almost everything she really craved since the hour she was born, being the oldest of the Harley tribe, as she expressed it. When it was decided that she should, at the end of her freshman year in high school, attend the preparatory school for girls, known as Lakeview Hall, Bess was determined that her chum Nan Sherwood should go with her. But Nan's parents were not situated at all as were Bess Harley's, neither financially or otherwise. Mr. Robert Sherwood had been for years foreman of a department in the Atwater Mills. Suddenly the mills were closed, and Nan's father, with multitudes of other people, found his income cut off. He owned a little cottage on Amity Street, but it was not all paid for, as Nan's mother had been a semi-invalid for a number of years, and much of the money Mr. Sherwood might have saved had gone for medical attention for Momsey, as Nan called her mother. But the invalid wife and mother was the bravest and most cheerful of the three who lived in the dwelling in Amity, as Mr. Sherwood called the little cottage and it was she who inspired them to hope for better times ahead. Nan could not fail to be benefited in character by such an example as her mother set. But the girl very well knew that, in their then present circumstances, there was no possibility of her entering Lakeview Hall in the fall with Bess Harley. This was really a tragic outlook for the school chums, but in the very darkest hour a letter arrived from a lawyer named Andrew Blake, of Edinburgh, Scotland, stating that a great-uncle of Mr. Sherwood's had recently died, bequeathing her an estate valued at something like ten thousand pounds. The only shadow cast upon this delightful prospect was the fact that Mrs. Sherwood must appear before the Scotch court to oppose the claim of more distant relatives who were trying to break the will. The doctors had already recommended a sea voyage for Mrs. Sherwood. Now it seemed a necessity. But her parents could not take Nan across the ocean. What should be done with the troubled girl was the man upon the family, Mr. Sherwood's brother from Upper Michigan, a giant lumberman, who had come to Tilbury to offer any help in his power to Nan's father in his financial straits. Immediately upon hearing of the legacy, Mr. Henry Sherwood declared that he would take Nan back to Pine Camp with him, and, in the first volume of this series, entitled Nan Sherwood at Pine Camp, or The Old Lumberman's Secret, are told all Nan's adventures in the big woods during the spring and summer, and until the time came for her to prepare to enter Lakeview Hall in September. For, Although the court proceedings regarding Mr. Huey Blake's will had not been entirely settled, money had been advanced by Mr. Andrew Blake to Mr. Sherwood, and the desire of Nan's heart was to be accomplished. She was now on her way to Lakeview Hall with Bess Harley, and, as we have seen, 
she had not gone far on the journey from Chicago before adventure overtook her. The first was not a pleasant adventure, however, and it brought in its train incidents which colored all Nan Sherwood's initial semester at Lakeview Hall. End of chapter 2 Recording by Linda Ciano